welcome back to another episode of So I Got My BFA. If you're new here, my name is Kelsey, and this is a podcast where I talk about all of the things that I feel quote-unquote qualified to talk about because I have a BFA in musical theater. Before we get into the episode, I just want to thank you guys so much for listening and coming back each week. It makes my heart so happy. If you could, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave me a rating and a review. And if you're on Spotify, give me a download. That really helps me out, and it helps me to connect with you guys outside of this podcast. Thank you guys so much, and with that, let's get into the episode. I'm just talking, babbling. This is what you came here for, isn't it? Hello, guys. How is everyone? Oh my gosh, happy March! It's March! Can you even believe it? Can you stand it? Because I sure can't. It's so crazy that it has almost been a year since the initial shutdown. That just blows my mind. I actually had a rehearsal because we are one year later now officially filming our showcase for college. So I had this weird like alternate reality moment the other day when I was in rehearsal because I've been out of college for a year now um, or about a year. I mean, I graduated in May, but really classes stopped in March, stopped being in person in March. Um, So and it was just so weird because I logged back onto Zoom. I talked to these directors, I performed my song as if no time had passed. It was so weird. It was like, oh yeah, I just log on to Zoom and do this every day. But no, it's been a full year, that's so crazy. I don't think any of us thought that it would be a full year when the initial shutdown happened. Um, It's so crazy, the circumstances of this horrible, horrible pandemic. But if we're looking on the bright side, um, numbers are dropping vaccinations are happening, um, and things are slightly looking up here in Duloc, which may or may not be foreshadowing to the musical we're talking about today. Um, but I just like, I like to reflect sometimes, especially now that it's been a year, just like, I like to reflect on the things that, you know, the positive things that have happened. I say it constantly on this podcast, but this very podcast would not have happened had this quarantine, um, not come about. I would have never thought in a million years I would be sitting here talking to you guys each week um, and just chatting about, you know, fun things and musicals and just having a good time with you guys. Never in a million years would I have thought that would have happened. But this pandemic really puts things in perspective and it gives you time to to sit and reflect and it allows you to, to just have time to think and create and honestly, I think if anything has to come out of this pandemic, the creativity that we've seen from so many people, so many organizations, and just finding ways to resemble normal without, you know, going back to being normal. And um, I'm just excited to see how that's going to continue. And I'm so, so, so excited for the day where we can say we can go see a show again. I'm so ready for that day. I'm so excited to audition again um, whenever that day may come. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. So world, if you, whenever you're ready, I'm sitting here, I'm ready to get back in on the action. Um, oh my gosh. Speaking of the action though, you know what today is the anniversary of it's, it's today, the day that I'm recording this, not necessarily the day that this comes out, but the hairspray non-union national tour open call was one year ago today. Can you believe that? If you know, you know, I'll say that much, but that is one of the craziest calls I have 
ever gone to in my entire life. Now, granted, I was in college and I didn't go to a, a ton of open calls, but I had been to a few. And especially for summer stocks and, and things for jobs in the summer, I had been to open calls before, but this was unlike one I had ever seen in my entire life. And I think that everyone who was at the call and even people who weren't would probably say the same thing. I mean, the lines were wrapped around streets and avenues and it not just once, but like a couple of times. Um, it's the most people I've ever seen at an open call. People started lining up at 2 a.m. It's insane. I think we got there around 6 because, you know, typically that's when you, that's when the typical line starts happening around, I mean, probably I would say more around 5, but like, it's not too crazy if you get there at 6. But we got there at 6 and we had to walk down streets just to get to the end of the line. It was so crazy. And we didn't even get seen that day. Me and a couple of other my classmates, we were actually in the process of tech week for Urinetown, and um, we wouldn't have been able to stay past a certain time anyway, but it, honestly, it didn't matter because they stopped letting people into Pearl Studios when we, the line eventually started moving, and we got about, I want to say like 40 feet away from the front door, and they just stopped letting people into the studios um, because they were jammed packed. It was so insane. And then there were people who were there for other calls who started different lines. They would sneak up to the fourth floor to get into the hairspray call. And I, I heard at one point they they shut down the elevator service because, because people were doing that. And I just like, I can't even imagine like being in the building because just being outside in the line was hectic. But like having actually made it into the building, being in a room with that many people, I mean, you think about it now and it's like, it's crazy. It's like unheard of. It's blasphemy that there's so many people in a room at once. But, uh, and honestly, my friends and I joke about it all the time. We're like, that call, that's the call that started the pandemic. Like, and I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me, honestly. It was so insane. So, honestly, I'm hoping that when we go back to somewhat semblance of normal, that they do evaluate open calls of, of that nature and they um they maybe try and find ways to to alleviate some of that craziness and overpopulation um of the studios um but like I really can't imagine especially after this like going back to a world where we have open calls like that it's actually interesting because um I feel like the weekend before the shutdown Anastasia their national tour was having auditions and they did it in a really unique way. I mean, honestly, maybe they saw what the hairspray call was and they were like, hmm, maybe we should do this instead. But they had it where you signed up online and um, they did the open call that way. And you would get time slots that way. Um, and honestly, I feel like that's a really like much more effective way um, than having thousands of people just standing in the streets of New York at 2 a.m. People were lining up at 2 a.m. First of all, that's not safe. Um, and... There's also no reason for that. Like, sure, you want to get seen. Sure, it's, just, it's like in my mind, like it's not safe to be on the streets of New York from 2 a.m. to 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. whenever Pearl Studios opens. Um, it's that's just like it's it seems unsafe, but it's also um, just like uncanny and unheard of and very crazy. Um, but yeah, that was one year ago, and that is insane to me. Um, I just remember being in that line thinking like, what are we doing here? Like, how is, how is this hectic? But I mean, I guess 
it, it was hairspray and hairspray is, um, you know, like a very popular and they haven't, especially for non-union and they hadn't done a tour and I don't even remember the last time. So like everyone, everyone our age, um, call all of the college students really showed up. Um, and I think that's why it was just so, it was so hectic because everyone wanted to be a part of it. Everyone had, one wanted to be in it, but yeah, that was a full year ago. Oh my gosh, guys, I wish you could see my setup right now. It is, it's so nice that um, on this podcast, you can only hear my voice and you can't see me and there's no video recording of this. Um, I actually hurt my knee this past week. Um, I have no idea what I've done to it. I'm sure it's um, a result of jumping on on hardwood floors a lot because I do a lot of jumping in my workouts and um, I do a lot of like dancing and um, it's it's not a nice sprung floor like we had at the studio, so it it is hard on my knees. But it actually it's so weird because it only hurts when I'm like out for a walk. It doesn't hurt while I'm working out, but it's but when I'm out for a walk, there's like this sharp shooting pain in the right side of my knee. And so all that to say, I have a very um odd setup today because I'm. Um, on my newly built vanity, which I talked to you guys about last week, um, built by my own very two hands. And, um, but I've got my leg like propped up on the side of it. I've got a big ice pack on it. It's, um, it's quite a sight to see. I'm, I'm so sorry that you guys, uh, don't have a visual, but, um, it's just making me giggle. Something else we need to talk about guys. One of my TikToks blew up this week. I'm very excited about it. Um, but also I'm, horrified by it because I was just like, so I have been um, selected to be amongst the people who are on the what you need from Target, Amazon, Forever 21, whatever, the whole haul side of TikTok. I have been very nicely selected to be on that. So I watch these videos and I'm like, you know what? You're right. I, I think I do need these things. So I went to Target and I spent way too much money on these things. And I was like, you know what? I didn't spend all this money to not make a video about it. Um, because really, if we if we aren't, you know, making videos about the things that we're doing, are, are we really doing them? Oh, the world that we live in. Um, but I was like, I want to make this like joke video about I'm on Target Hall TikTok but I'm so poor that I cannot afford to be on Target Hall TikTok. So I made a haul or I made a video about it and it blew up. And now I'm sitting here stressed because I'm like, am I, is this how I find TikTok fame? Am I the haul girl? I can't be the haul girl. I don't, I can't, I simply can't afford to be the haul girl. But I feel like the fact that I was like kind of comedic about it and I was like, I, I kind of like, was satirical about the whole like I don't have money but here I am spending it anyway um thanks so much for that um I feel like that might be sort of the reason it blew up but and if you think about it in TikTok standards it really didn't blow up a lot but like by my TikTok standards um where I get about 20 likes per per video um which we gotta talk about guys because sometimes I spend a lot of time on those videos and it doesn't really get the appreciation that I feel it deserves, which is just like boohoo, sad, poor, poor, pitiful me. But um, this video got almost 800 likes and that's a lot for me. So like, let me live in my glory. It's going to be okay. But now I'm sitting here and I'm like, do I don't have to, I can't be the hall girl. Can we just, we can just say that's a fluke and maybe I'll, maybe the next video will be me pretending to do a haul of the things that I already own. And I'll say, 
I can't afford to do normal hauls, but these are the videos you like. So here are the things that I already own. I don't know, guys. That was the biggest tangent in the entire world, and none of you, none of you care. I guess with that being said, we should go ahead and move into the weekly obsessions, and then we'll get into the musical of the week. I have a lot to say about this musical, so I'm very excited to get into it. So this week's weekly obsessions are kind of like a mesh of a few things. The first one I want to talk about has nothing to do with theater, absolutely nothing, but I am obsessed with it, and I just want to share because I feel like it has nothing to do with theater, but it has to do with like, you are your own brand and you know, in this world, like, you know, your face is your moneymaker really, right? Um, so during quarantine, I have developed a skincare routine and um, it's something that I just, it, it, I never, never in my life thought I would do. I mean, skincare obviously, but like something that I would be obsessed with. Um, but I just started thinking, I was like, you know, like I'm, I'm getting older every year. We're not getting any younger. And I just want to be able to stay fresh and young in the eyes of the theater world for as long as possible, especially if this pandemic is going to last too much longer and I'm going to be 52 by the time we get out of this. Um, <laughs> I still want to play the high school roles. I still want it. Don't take it away from me. Um, but I've developed a skincare routine and I just want to share with you guys the products that I use and the products that I love. Maybe influence you guys to like go out and like try and uh, put together a skincare routine for yourself because I really think that it's, it is important for your overall skin health in the first place but it's also you know it just like makes you feel good and it's self-care and it's self-love and we should all be you know experimenting with that so I'm gonna stop talking about that and get into my products that I really like this is in no way sponsored unless um any of these companies want to reach out to me and um sponsor me that would be very highly appreciated but this is not sponsored at all um my number one favorite product of all time is the Glossier Solution it comes in this pink little tube and you like pump out the stuff and it's like a chemical exfoliant kind of. Um, it's BHA, AHA, and PHA, I believe. And it transformed my skin. I literally look at pictures before the pandemic and before I started using it to pictures now and my skin is so smooth. It doesn't, I never really, the thing about my skin is I never really had acne prone skin. So I was very, very lucky in that sense. But I did have skin that had like little bumpies all over it. Like, I don't even know like what they're called. They're called something, but um, skincare by Hiram come for me. Um, <laughs> but like that has totally, it's cleared it up completely. My face feels so fresh after using it. And I, I just think that it has transformed my skin. Um, and it's also, it's also like a gentler, exfoliant than like scrubbing like walnuts on your face. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I love it so much. It's the Glossier Solution. It comes in a pink tube and it literally has transformed my skin. Um, another product that I really, really love, um, I have drier skin. So I love any type of moisture. Um, the, or I've been using the Ordinary Hyaluronic Acid for about, um, the past two weeks and I have already noticed such a difference in my, like, skin barrier and, um, the moisture and everything. Um, it has felt, my skin has felt much more hydrated and, uh, just, like, overall softer and it, I, I, like, constantly am touching my face nowadays, which is not good 
for your skin or the fact that we're in a pandemic. Um, but I just feel my, I find myself touching my face sometimes. I'm like, wow, this has never felt softer. Um, but I started using that. And then honestly, like just like whatever moisturizer you want, like it doesn't matter. I just use, I use the number seven brand, but it like doesn't, it doesn't matter. Find a good moisturizer. Honestly, just find a skincare routine that works for yourself and that you love and that you get excited about and become obsessed with it like I am. And uh, I don't know why I felt the need to talk about that in the weekly obsessions, um, but I felt like it was important to tell you guys like things that I'm finding that I'm obsessed with that are also a form of like self-care and self-love and, and all of that nature. So my next weekly obsession is an article that I read on Playbill. And it's about Broadway theaters starting to open up their spaces for like pop-up performances. So like really small, safe, social distance, mask wearing gatherings. And they're going to bring in Broadway performers to do like small little pop-up performances. I haven't like delved like too, too deep into it, but I do know that the music box where Dara Van Hansen is currently is going to be amongst the first to do this. And they already have like a lineup of Broadway performers to perform. Okay, so they have Gavin Creel. We all know him, we all love him. Shoshana Beam. Um, also lined up is Renee Fleming, Hugh Jackman, Billy Porter, Sutton Foster, we love her. Um, Ideen Wenzel, um, Kelly O'Hara, Danielle Brooks, Matthew Broderick, and Sarah Jessica Parker. And just like all of these, you know, these Broadway professionals coming and doing this and, you know, supporting these theaters that have been closed down for so long and just giving people who are craving it, who are missing it, some semblance of art and some semblance of performance and, um... I'm just super, super excited. I will, I'm honestly like sitting here like, take my money, take my money. Well, I, I, wanna, I wanna see what the regulations are, of course. I'm sure they would not be doing this without any type of way in an unsafe way of doing this. This is going through like a whole process of like trying to figure out what is the safe way to do this and how to open these theaters up. What, what are the amount of people in it that can be allowed in the theater at once? But I'm super excited to see what they come up with. Sutton Foster, I will be there on your performance date. I'm just letting you know now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm super excited about that. My next weekly obsession and my last one is actually, I don't even want to like categorize this as a part of the weekly obsessions. I talked about a play last week and I kind of want to do that each week. So um, we're going to call this segment Playtime. And I just made that up right on the spot. And um, I'm going to talk about a play each week. And it's just going to be a really, really short recap um, because I have also found myself not reading as many plays as I should be, especially in all of this downtime. So I've, I want to like read a play a week and I want to discuss it with you guys. And it'll also keep me accountable um, for staying on top of my play reading. And I love reading plays. Um, it's like my childhood dream come true to just be able to like read in all the different character voices at once. Um, but this week I read a play called Slow Girl. It's by Greg Pierce. And it's this very, very short play. I think the play may be like 45 pages in total. It's like a three act, I would say more like three scene play. Um, it's got two characters. It's about this girl who comes and visits her uncle in Costa Rica. The two aren't necessarily very close because he moved to Costa Rica. Um, a long, long time ago to kind of escape something that um, if you read the play, you'll find out what it is. But she has come there as an escape of something that she has done that, again, I don't want to spoil the play, um, 
but that you'll figure it out when if you read the play. Um, but it's about her experience with him, how he has an influence on her, and how she goes through this like mental slash spiritual journey along the way. Because he's very he lives in like isolation. He lives in the middle of the jungle, um, and he has found his own form of. And he doesn't even call it like a spiritual awakening, but just like kind of like an awakening. And she kind of goes on her own form of the journey. And there are a lot of like bumps and they butt heads a lot. They're two very different people. And we just kind of see the journey of them and mostly her um, along this throughout the story. Um, A very bad accident has happened um, in this girl's life. And she is in trouble. And so she, her parents like ship her off to Costa Rica for the weekend before she has to face police and uh, courtrooms and stuff like that. Um, I don't want to give away too, too much of the plot, but it's a, it's a, it's a cute little story. And it, it really, it's a story that in the very last act or scene, it's a story that where you see the main character kind of come to like a breaking point. And like what that means to her and what she does and how the other character reacts to that. Um, It it is like kind of a journey play. I will be completely honest. It's not my favorite play I've ever read. Um, I think there are a lot of like um, missing pieces and I wish it, I almost wish it were longer um, to just kind of fill in the gaps of some things. But for like what it is, the short play, I think it is like a good, it's a nice read. And it's also, it's it's just a nice, it's a nice little like story to follow. Um, and I think the message at the end is something that uh, you can really like take away and think about. Um, it's so hard to review a play and not talk about the actual plot because I don't want to like spoil it, spoil it. Um, but yeah, check it out. Um, as far as monologues go, I feel like there are places and moments for monologues. Um, you really have to kind of figure out how to do them because they are very in context of the show. There are long monologues, of course. There's only two characters in the show, so there are definitely moments where like each character has their own monologue. Um, and the girl, I would say, is, is in high school. Um, so if you range anywhere from there, you could probably find a monologue from her speeches. Um, but be careful because they are very in context of the show and they're a little tricky to, to be able to take out and just do as like an, an everyday monologue, but there are monologues, um, regardless, but that's, that's playtime. And, um, (laughs) um, I think I'm going to do that each week. Uh, what do you guys think? I talk about a play and a musical. I just talk about the play for just like a little bit, but then we, we really delve into the musical, but, um, yeah, I just think that that keeps me accountable. It also like, I am in, I am on a solid hunt for monologues right now so it not only keeps me accountable for keeping up with my play reading and um it also keeps me accountable for finding new material and stuff that I can use on in my future career and uh, hopefully that maybe you can find too so check it out it's called slow girl by greg pierce um if you're interested and uh yeah i recommend it and with that let's get into the musical of the week Guys, I am very excited. I say this every time. I should stop saying I'm very excited. You guys know that I'm very excited. I love talking about musicals. I just, I, it's, it's, it's so fun um, to just like really delve into them and like whether they're deep or whether they're not. And this one is not that deep. Um, I just like to, you know, like kind of analyze and, and I also, I, I always love finding things when I really delve into these musicals, when I'm prepping for these podcasts that, that 
that like I never realized before. Um, so that's really fun and really exciting. So you guys know I'm excited. But the musical this week, we are talking about, get ready, drum roll please. We are diving deep into the realms of Shrek the Musical. Yay! Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. I um, There are so many mixed opinions of Shrek. Um, some people love it. Some people hate it. And some people love to hate it. And um, I'm here to tell you my opinion and what I think of the story. And it's a, it's also like it's again, it's this whole taking a popular movie and making it into like the spectacle musical. It's similar to Mean Girls in that sense. If you if you want to hear more on that, like go and listen to my Mean Girls podcast. But I I think it's it, it, it is like it's a spectacle musical, right? It's to bring in the tourists, it's to bring in the kids, it's to bring in the 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 fans of the movie but it it does it delves like a little bit deeper into it i think what people are why they're wary of this musical is because shrek is like <laughs> shrek is already kind of a meme of a movie and so they're like oh why are we turning this into a musical just yet yet another just like some taking something and making it something that it shouldn't be but i honestly think that it works really well as a musical i definitely there are definitely flaws with it that i'm definitely going to um talk about um fa- flaws that i find that other people might not care about but um we're definitely going to delve into everything. We're going to talk about all of the phenomenal actors in this stellar all-star cast. Um, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about favorite favorite moments, um, journeys that the movie doesn't take that the sh- that the musical does, and um, what I love, what I don't love. We're going to delve all into it. Don't you even worry. But of course, we're going to start with the stage agent synopsis. And yes, I've changed it from the Wikipedia synopsis because I hate to tell you, Wikipedia, but you have not been um, doing your job lately. You have not been summarizing these musicals. You really held up back there in the beginning. And just every musical I feel like I've done from now on, you just have not had a synopsis on. And um, so I have switched over. Your segment is gone, Wikipedia, and um, it is now called the Stage Agent Synopsis. So let's get right into that. Grumpy, gruff, green ogre, Shrek lives alone in his swamp. The world is fearful and mocking of him, and he is more than happy to leave the world to itself in turn. Suddenly, his hermit existence is thrown open when a group of homeless fairy tale characters burst upon his swamp, seeking refuge from the persecution of the cruel, vertically challenged Lord Farquaad. Shrek seeks out Farquaad, who offers him a deal. If Shrek rescues the Princess Fiona, then Farquaad will ensure the return of Shrek's swamp by returning the fairy tale characters to their home. In a desperate attempt to regain his swamp, Shrek enters the world for the first time in his life. He travels to Princess Fiona's prison, rescues her from a fire-breathing dragon, and then, scariest of all, is forced to get to know the princess as he tries to bring her back to the evil Farquaad. To the determinedly unsocial ogre's dismay, Fiona is very different from what he expected a princess to be. She may even provoke Shrek's most novel experience yet. Love. That was like a novel. Oh my goodness. I mean, it definitely gave me the plot of the show, but like, I feel like it went into like a little bit. What I've been finding with the stage agent um, synopsis is that they do give a little too much detail. It's like they really want to reel you in. It's almost more like a teaser than a synopsis. I do love the the drama behind it, and I um I really love reading them to you guys. 
Um, so I would say that I would rate that synopsis maybe like a like a seven out of ten. It's a very good synopsis, but like a little too much, uh, like a teaser instead of just straightforward. Like what what's the show about? Guys, I have so much to talk about this musical. If you could look at my notes right now, I you would not even believe that I'm talking about Shrek the musical. It is actually ridiculous how many notes I have. Um, but first and foremost, I need to talk about the stigma around Shrek. I feel like people love to hate on this musical and I just don't get it. I, I'm not gonna sit here and say that Shrek is the best musical in the musical theater canon. I am in no way saying that. What I will say is that I think that people are too hard on it. I think that for what it is, it's a fun musical. It's got lighthearted moments. It's got really funny moments. And to be honest, guys, it's Shrek. Like, why are we delving into Shrek? Why are we, why are we sitting here saying, oh, Shrek is not a good musical, blah, blah, blah. It's a meme, guys. Shrek is just like, it's not supposed to be this deep, heavily messaged. I mean, there is like a message to the story, which I think is a very good message. And I'll talk about that later. But like, this is not a show we're going to deep dive into where we're really going to leave thinking about some things. Like, it's Shrek. Like, you have to expect, you have to know what your expectations are when you're going in and seeing the, the, the musical. We know what the movie is. We know that it's a comedy and we know that it's, you know, kind of spoofy. So, of course, like, the musical is going to be similar and it's not going to be this, like, deep delve dive into, you know, the inner self and everything like that. It's just, it's just not. So you cannot compare Shrek to the color purple, right? Like you just simply can't. Like one is a really, really important story that has a lot of emotion and um, a lot of, of raw um, vulnerability and a big, deep storyline that is rooted in reality, a uh, true story. And you can't take that and compare it to a fantasy, spoofy, fun, comical, like satirical, whatever, whatever of Shrek. Like, you know, you just can't compare the musicals. Of course, The Color Purple is gonna make you leave feeling some sort of way, especially after Cynthia Revo screlts I'm here in your face. Like you're not gonna leave that feeling the same way as you're gonna leave Brian Darcy James and Christopher Sieber and Sutton Foster like farting in a musical like you know like you just can't compare the two and I think that's where the stigma really comes from a lot of people a lot of things I've read have saying like people don't like the music I personally love a lot of the songs in the show I will agree of course with every album there are always songs that you're not going to resonate with that aren't going to stick with you that you aren't going to like and I do think that there are a couple songs in here that like aren't necessary and that I just don't think are are that great but at the end of the day it's Janine Tesori guys like what are we talking about like she's an amazing composer and whether it's you know whether we're talking about Violet or Millie or fun home like she creates great music that's what she does and just because it's Shrek doesn't make it any it makes it more spoofy and comical and a little more ridiculous but it doesn't make the composition of her music any less quality in my opinion um and also there's some really good jams in this musical that I I just feel like people have this like stigma that Shrek is supposed to be a bad musical so like in in turn like you are not allowed to like it 
but I just want to I just want to sit here today on March whatever today is um, <laughs> and say that let's break the stigma let's break it because like give Shrek a chance okay like it's first of all the all-star cast is phenomenal and it's just a fun light-hearted musical with a good message at the end especially for kids and uh, people who are growing up right now um, and finding out unique things about themselves and and uh, realizing that they're different and that's what makes them special and it, it has a good message for that and it, it's also just like let's let's not compare it to like the deep musicals that make you feel something okay it's Shrek like come on okay I've said my piece about that I want to talk about the production value of this musical. Um, so we're going to take everything away. We're taking away the score. We're taking away the acting. We're taking away everything. I want to look at the costumes, first of all, are phenomenal. Um, did they win? They must have. Did they win best costumes that year? They simply must have. Um, it was, I mean, the costumes were phenomenal. The staging is really good. The choreography is great. The lighting is really, the 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 lighting moments and the set design is phenomenal. I think that like for what Shrek is, it, it could have been taken much less seriously, but I think that because everyone was so dedicated to making it look so nice that like the quality of like the production value is really, really, it, it's really, really good. Um, I love the set design. The costumes are phenomenal, phenomenal. They fit in the realm of the world so well. I mean, Brian Darcy James being completely transformed into Shrek, Christopher Sieber walking on his knees the whole show and that whole costume being created. I just think like there's, it's it, they're just so good. I love them so much. Um, and if anything, if anything, even if you hate the rest of Shrek, you can't. You have to sit here and you have to be like, okay, those costumes are bomb. You got You got to say it. And just like the way that everything was so smartly like figured out. Um, again, I'm gonna go back to it probably a million times. But Christopher Sieber dancing on his knees the whole show, like that, like steals the show in itself. Um, and then just like, I mean, look at this all star cast, guys. I'm gonna go through these like person by person, but we have Brian D'Arcy James, Sutton Foster, come on, we already know, we already know, Christopher Sieber, Daniel Breaker, those four, in really, like, without those solid four, the show doesn't work, right? Without taking those four actors and having them create and set the, the standard for, like, what other people will, will perform this show as, like the show doesn't come together without these four actors and doesn't work on Broadway. And honestly, it doesn't get a best musical nomination without those actors. And that's just the fact of the matter. And I do wanna go through them person by person, but before I get to that, I wanna talk about the overall like book of the musical and what I think works and what I think doesn't work. I like that we get some exposition into the backstory of some of these characters. I think that they do it really, I think they, it's really smartly crafted with Shrek and we see him as a childhood because I think it is important, especially when we're sitting here saying it's a musical and, you know, movies all the times, so we don't have to see this like deeper inner line message, but with musicals, like the stigma is, is that you sometimes want to come out with like this message that like 
everyone is beautiful, everyone is different, everyone has their own unique quirks, and that's what makes them amazing. That's the message of this musical. Um, but you want to you wanna leave a musical feeling something. And so I think that they tried to do that in this way by creating more exposition and more backstory on some of the characters. And I think it really does work for, I think it really works for Shrek because it's the whole opening scene. We see him as a child. We see him wanting to be friendly. We see him not wanting to fit into this um, quote unquote, like what I have to be as an ogre or what the expectation of an ogre is to be. He doesn't grow up that way, but the world kind of made him that way. And we see him that way through the exposition of the opening song. I think another good example of that is seeing um, I Know It's Today and seeing the progression of young Fiona to like angsty teen Fiona to um, stir crazy adult Fiona, right? I like that we see that transition. And it also, I think it just like, it allows us to understand the characters better. Now, this is what I'm going to say about Farquaad. We did not need that whole scene. The Ballad of Farquaad, we did not need. It's my least favorite part of the show. It, it takes me out of the main action. It doesn't make sense. Like, we don't need... Farquaad is this, like, stark villain who has absolutely no redemption. And um, he's, he's just like, we don't, we don't need to see that he had a, a rough childhood. Because, like, even, even in turn in the end they come back and negate that. Like he he cries about having this tough childhood and then they negate it at the end. And you know, his dad comes on and he's like, I have daddy issues. But then his dad comes on and is like, no son, like you were actually awful. And like, we, I didn't raise you to be this way, blah, blah, blah. Cause so they negate it. And it just like, it almost feels like they are pulling for, at strings here and trying to create plot line that like, it's just unnecessary. I think it's important to see the backstory of these two main characters. Um, because it, it also like makes you feel for them. And then it, at the end or t- maybe towards the middle of the show, you see them connect with, I think I've got you beat and you see that connection, which we wouldn't necessarily have gotten to had we not seen the backstories of, um, the two characters, but with Farquaad, it just feels like a stretch. It feels like we needed something to fill the time of the musical and of the book. And it just it just feels unnecessary. It takes me out of the plot line. I don't like it. And it's also it also just felt like we need to give Christopher another song. Like that's that's really like the, mainly what it felt like, but I don't know, I really hate it. I gotta be completely honest. I do not like that part of the show. Um, there are multiple other parts of the show that I really do enjoy, but that part in particular, I don't really enjoy. I also wanna talk about the book itself versus the musical moments. It almost feels like the book, it's really lacking in substance. There were a lot of times I did rewatch because if you want to watch it, Shrek is on Netflix. The musical stage version was filmed and it's on Netflix currently. Um, So go check it out. But I did watch it and I found myself multiple times saying that scene was like, it almost felt like rushed. And it the the one that I really um, pointed out was the scene right before things are looking up here in Duloc. It's, it's a scene with Shrek and Donkey where they arrive at the palace and then they sing Things Are Looking Up and then they have a small encounter with Farquaad where he tells him to go on this mission. And it almost feels like the scenes and the dialogue were not fully thought out and they were more of like a roadmap for like the musical numbers. So we get these like grand musical numbers throughout the show, right? That are really, really nice. Like Things Are Looking Up, uh, Freak Flag, 
morning person. Like we, we see all of these grand musical numbers, which we love to see in musical theater, but I almost wish that there, there was more substance in the dialogue. And instead it feels like they took like dialogue that worked from the movie and they just stuck it into the musical. And they were like, okay, we'll just fill the time with this before we get to the big flashy musical numbers. That's kind of what the book feels like to me. And I found myself rewatching it and, and thinking that a lot. Um, not that any, like, again, like, it's just totally my opinion. Like, think what you want. Um, but that's just how I felt re-watching and really, like, delving into and, like, analyzing this musical. <laughs> just, like, imagine me sitting in my room analyzing Shrek the musical at 3 a.m. in the morning because that's what was happening. I'm sure my roommate was living for it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that's just, like, something I noticed. And honestly, it's just, like, something to think about when you watch musicals like think I love to think about like how does the book reflect the the orchestrations and the the musical numbers and um how do they like lead into that and for this that the book and the dialogue fell flat to the musical numbers for me and it almost felt like it was just like a quota like we have this great musical number we have this great musical number we have this great musical number we just have to get to them and that's kind of what what it felt like to me again I think it's a great musical I think it's um it's really well done. It's just like, these are things that I'm picking out that I had a little bit of, um, of an issue with. But again, everyone is entitled to their own opinion. Think what you want. Um, but I, now I wanna talk about these four main characters and the great, great work that they do as actors to create what is what this show has become. Let's talk about Brian Darcy James, first of all. He really pulls, I feel like, okay, I don't even remember what it's called, but do you remember that movie where Leonardo DiCaprio won his first Tony and he completely transformed himself? Like he lived in a cave for like a year or whatever. Like he went full on method and he finally won, did I just say his Tony? No, 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 his Oscar. He won his first Oscar. That's how I feel the transition for Brian Darcy James to Shrek. Like clearly not as intense, but that's that's the only thing I can find to compare it to because he fully embodies this character like nothing I've ever seen before. I mean, it's seriously like, first of all, I mean, the costume and the prosthetics are absolutely incredible. So they create this whole illusion that he's Shrek. Something that I always find so funny is that Brian to R.C. James' um, version of Shrek has the widest teeth I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, he might not have any personal hygiene um, above from brushing and whitening his teeth, but that boy flosses on the daily. That's all I got to say. Um, but his transformation into this character is so incredible. Um, I mean, from the accent to the, the personality traits, to the mannerisms, to just like really fully embodying the character, he brings Shrek to life on such a an astronomical level that it's so it's just so believable and I think that this is a a, an issue that a lot of the times due to honestly due to like budgeting and stuff and just like lack of whatever this is where places like high schools that do Shrek or community theaters that do Shrek they have a real hard time like really capturing the essence of Shrek Um, mostly because like they don't have the budget for like the big prosthetics and the costumes and everything, but also like it takes a special like type of actor to be able to step into that role and just fully embody a character that like we all know and we all love from the movie. 
um, and just to like make him as specific to that as he can be. And I think that his like version of Shrek is very, very similar to the movie. Um, and a lot, like he, he really embodies the character from the movie. Whereas we have like Sutton Foster who kind of takes Fiona and makes her something different. I'll get to that. That's a whole nother conversation that I'm going to have. But um, yeah, I just think that Brian R.C. James does a great, phenomenal job of stepping into this character. I so fully believe that he is Shrek. Like it's actually like I look at him sometimes. I'm like, he's not even an actor. Like he's just, that is Shrek on stage. Like it's so crazy. And um. I mean, just, like, he goes from this, like, oh, I'm a mean ogre to, uh, you know, the comedy moments. And then we see him, like, break down as well and uh, see him be emotional and vulnerable during Who I Be and If Words Fail. And I just think that he does such a great job at capturing essences of Shrek that aren't seen in the movie. Um, and he plays them very believably, in my opinion. Um, the next person I want to talk about is Daniel Breaker who I am obsessed with in this show. Donkey, I, I don't want to give away my favorite character right now, but like my favorite character is Donkey in this show. I just think that Daniel Breaker, his rent, his um performance of Donkey is so stinking funny. He hits every single comedic beat. Like there is not one moment where he's off. And his mannerisms of, you know, being a donkey and having freaking hooves on his hands the whole time and just being able to embody like everything that we know and love about donkey in the movie and be I, I feel like I'm saying the same thing as as Brian with um Shrek but like I, I just feel like he almost takes it to like a next level like we see this donkey as um I don't know it's it, it, it's something that I can't even like put into words but he's so good he's so on he, he hits every comedic beat. It's so on point that, like, you cannot help but love this rendition of Donkey. Um, I think in the movie, you can sometimes be like, the, this character is annoying. This character, like, why? Like, why? Why? Can he just chill out? But with Daniel Breaker's version of Donkey, it's like you love him from the moment he's on stage. And oh my gosh, his song, Don't Let Me Go, it's, it's one of the best songs in the show. It is so funny. It's so good. I literally like, I am, I'm like waiting for, I want to gender bend it so bad. It's so, it's, it's just so good. Um, I think that's what, it's one of the strongest songs in the show, to be completely honest. Um, as far as like comedy goes, I mean, of course there's like who I'd be, which is like, oh, heart wrenching and, um, just a really great act one finale. But as far as him stepping into that character and portraying the mannerisms, again, if these people, if these these guys could have taken these roles and been like, oh, we're just silly, we're just gonna like emulate the characters that were on the movies, it would have been a bland musical. And these characters could have been very bland, but they really took them and made them their own. And I just think that like he, he is so good at what he does. He creates his character um, and he embodies it in such a, a fun way. And um, I just think he does a really great job with it. Next, I want to talk about Christopher Sieber because, because, oh my gosh, MVP of the show, to be completely honest. He takes Farquaad, and honestly, he kind of... I feel like his version of Farquaad is not the movie version of Farquaad, which I really like. Um, it, the movie version of Farquaad is... I mean, the whole joke of it all is that he's short, 
And so like he's evil and he's the leader of all these um all of these this town and this land, but he's short. So like he 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 comes off as less intimidating, but he's still really intense and evil. Whereas like I feel like Christopher Sieber's version is very much the musical version of Farquaad. He's very he's much more flamboyant. He's really whiny. Um which and I I don't I haven't seen the movie in such a long time, so I might be not remembering this correctly, but um, I don't feel like in the movie he's as whiny. As whiny, he is very immature in the movie, but um, I feel like Christopher Sieber really just took it to the next level. And honestly, he should have won a Tony just for you know performing on his knees the whole stinking time. Like that, his performance of Things Are Looking Up is so incredible. He, it's so funny. The way that that's choreographed is really, really well done. Um, so props to the choreographer on that. And I just think, like, his whole embodiment of the character, plus he's in this, like, giant, like, bodysuit that is, like, far quad. And it's just, it's so funny. He brings such a, a fun perspective to the character. And honestly, I feel like he really does a good job of making you hate the character. Um, and in some instances, villains aren't, like, you kind of want to feel for the villain, but I feel like Farquaad is not one of those villains. Farquaad is a villain that you very much want to hate, and he does a really great job at making you not like the character. That's my thoughts on Christopher Sieber. And now let's get to my holy grail. Like, guys, we all know, I have not talked about a musical with her in it yet, and um, we all knew this day was coming. So here it is. Um, we got to talk about Sutton Foster. Here's the thing that I love about Sutton Foster's acting. She takes every role that she's given and she creates it and makes it her. Fiona in the movie, I feel like comes across as kind of bland, to be completely honest, but Sutton takes her. And I think that this is a part of creating the backstory of Fiona too and how she grew up and like, from being hopeful to being like kind of an angsty teenager to being like, I just need to get out of this this place. And she takes that and she adds in the elements that Fiona has been in this tower for her entire life. She's going completely stir crazy. She has no social interaction and she creates a beautiful rendition of a character whom we could have kind of like thrown to the wayside. Um, and she makes her so dynamic and such a fun character. If you like, if you are, if you're very much a Sutton fan and you like kind of like know, you've watched some interviews she's done, you know, she's very like, she's goofy and she's awkward and she's fun and quirky and, and, um, you know, she's very, she's just like very a, a fun person. And she takes that and she really puts that into Fiona. And I think that gives Fiona a whole new perspective. And it's not, she's not taking it too far off from the the movie but like she has created her own character and she's really put herself in it and that's what something I think that Sutton does she does that in all of her characters first of all whenever the music man comes on I am so excited to see her rendition of Mary and the librarian because sitting here right now you're thinking like oh that doesn't really sound like a role for Sutton but I but then you're also like I cannot wait to see what she does with it um if you need an example of how Sutton creates characters and puts herself into every character and makes them so, gives them such a strong point of view and makes them so, um, she doesn't, she doesn't copy. Like, that's the thing that I love about her. She makes everything her own by putting herself into the roles. See Reno Sweeney. Go watch her rendition of Reno Sweeney. She is nothing 
nothing like what everyone's perception of Reno is. But she's still amazing and phenomenal. And she puts this whole new twist on Reno. I'm sorry, I'm totally talking about a different musical now. But she like takes this whole new um, perspective on Reno and just makes her this strong, powerful character who is also a little bit quirky and also like a little bit odd. And, you know, and it's just like, that's what I think that that is the, the sign of a great performer who can really take a character and put themselves into it and make it great and make it their own and have a strong point of view. I love a point of view. <laughs> Let me just say, I love a point of view. And I think that that's what Sutton does so, so well. And you really see it. You, I'm sorry. I'm just like, I could talk about it for days. I, I, I love watching good acting and you really see it when you're watching the, the film stage version. Cause you can see up close and you can see every little, like you can, you can see the acting beats like happening. Like you can see it. Um, so up close, she goes from, I'm, being a princess and uh, save me, Sir Shrek, to like, oh my God, like what is happening with this dude? Like, come on, come on. You see it. And it's just in like the slightest moments. It's like the slightest, like, like lift of the eyebrow. Like it's so small, but she does it so well. And I just, I, 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 I could rave for days about her performance. And I think that honestly, I would say like of all the characters she played, I want to say that Fiona is probably like the closest to like who she actually is. Um, and she just like, you can tell that she's having fun on stage. You can tell that she is like playing around. She doesn't, she's not taking herself too seriously. She's just having a good time. Um, you really see that during morning person, I think, most of all. Also, let's talk about morning person for a hot sec, because I feel like it's in Sutton's contract that like any role that she plays, there must be a tap dance break. Um, I've never seen Violet. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if during all to pieces, she just breaks out into a tap routine. Like it really wouldn't surprise me, but, um, it's just so funny. Cause it's like, they were like, how can we incorporate tap into this musical? Because we have Sutton Foster. So like, there's gotta be a tap number. And I honestly, it's, it's really hard to put tap into a musical. I feel like, because it's like, how do you make it feel authentic? And the musicals that do it really well, like 42nd street or anything goes they do it really well and it feels really authentic. And so it's always like hard to like, I feel like to put tap into musical and make it feel like you're not like, I'm just breaking into a tap number right now. And you know what, if any show can just like do it and like, it's, it's Shrek, like tapping mice, like, come on, like, <laughs> come on, like it's Shrek. Like we have to have tapping mice. Um, I could rave for days and days about Sutton's performance on literally anything. Um, but she's so, she's so great. And so those are the four characters, and they really, really carry the show. Like, again, like I said, I mean, the ensemble numbers are amazing, and I think that the fairy tale characters really do bring a whole nother level to the story. But again, like, without those four characters and the, the actors really bringing everything that they had to it, the show falls very flat. And um, the musical numbers aren't as, um, aren't as fun, and they aren't as, like, lively, and you don't want to jam to them. It's really the dedication of the actors that make everything in this show so great. Um, with that being said, now I want to talk about some of the fairy tale characters' moments. Um, first of all, I Freak Flag is like my anthem. Like I am obsessed with Freak Flag. I love the message that it sends. It is. It's just so like stop worrying about what other people think of you. 
if someone's gonna like not like you for your differences, that's on them. You have to own your own unique personality and and the things that make you different because you don't want to be you don't want to be this carbon copy of the next person sitting next to the next person. You don't want to be the same. You you want to find ways that make you unique. And I think that that's I mean that's the central message in Shrek is like don't judge a book by its cover and there is beauty in everything. Like it doesn't matter you can always find beauty within you no matter what no matter what circumstances you've been dealt you are so uniquely you and you have to celebrate that and you have to take pride in that and I think that that is the summer summarization of freak flag and everything that it stands for I do find it to be a bit odd about like the placement in the show it's very um it kind of comes out of the blue and it kind of I think because of how important the message is I almost want it to be like I want it to be a bigger moment in the show and it just feels like it kind of just falls off. I don't know why. Maybe that's just how I feel. Maybe that's not like someone else's experience of the show. But for me, it just feels like it's in an odd, it's placed in an odd place. Um, it really does feel like it comes out of nowhere. Is it, is it trying to be the 11 o'clock number? Like, is that what it's, it, that, that might be why it's placed so late in the show. But then again, you, you have like build me a wall are gonna build a wall. I don't even know what that song is called. Um, that could also be the 11 o'clock number. I don't really know. But yeah, I just feel like it falls at a weird place in the, in the show. Let's go back to the story of my life. I think it's a really good setup for the characters and I think it is like, it's a cute song. I feel like it, again, it kind of takes you out of like the main plot of it. The thing that I, I think I struggle with Shrek is that like there is a main plot and then there's a subplot but it's almost like the subplot interrupts the main plot. And it's like, we f I feel like I'm in two different stories at one point. And that is like the plot with Shrek and Fiona and Farquaad versus the plot with the fairy tale characters. And it feels like they almost, they just don't match up. Like I understand like the whole, the fairy tale characters are coming to the swamp and invading the swamp. And so that's why Shrek has to go on this journey or whatever. But like, it, it almost feels like they're trying to create a life for the fairy tale characters outside of the life of Shrek and his story. And it just feels like they sometimes they, they clash. Oh my gosh, I swear to you guys, if you could see, <laughs> I, I am a talker, like I talk with my hands a lot. And if you could see the gestures that I'm doing right now, I'm literally like holding, I have like my fists clenched and I'm like pounding them together, like talking about the worlds colliding. Like it's, it's so ridiculous. Thank God no one, this is not a video. Um, and it's just me and my lovely voice speaking to you guys. But yeah, I just feel like the, the stories kind of collide and it really takes me out of it. And it's almost like there's too much. There's too much I need to get to know about these fairy tale characters that I don't get enough of um, throughout the story. And so I think that there was a better way to mesh those two storylines together. Um, some of my favorite songs in the show, can we please talk about I Think I've Got You Beat for one second? I know that some people think that this song is ridiculous, but I think it's important. And I want to tell you why. First of all, I think it's a bop. Like I, it's like a, it's like a, um, a modern version of anything you can do, I can do better, right? Um, and then of course at the end they have a farting sequence, which I wish they hadn't really included on the album, just because I feel like sometimes I'm listening to it, I'm bopping, and then all of a sudden they're just farting, and I'm like, hmm, 
I don't no longer want to listen to this. But the song is important for the character's connection. And this is something that we don't see in the movie. This is where we really see them connect. And um, we really see that they're two sides of the same coin, right? They both were abandoned by their parents at the age of seven, which is horrible. And they both lived in their own form of isolation. Shrek Shrek chose to, to live in isolation Well, he didn't choose. He was forced out by society. Whereas Fiona, on the other hand, is in this tower who is forced to be in isolation by her parents because it's her destiny to find a prince. And she is has been cursed with the curse of the ogre-ness, I guess is what we'll call it. Um, and so that's why. So she hasn't ever had a lot of social interaction, whereas Shrek is like, he is he wards off social interaction. He tries to get rid of it because that's what society has deemed that is appropriate for him. Like he is not allowed to be around people. So when we see them come in and um, we, first of all, we see them having this like boss, boss ass fight. Um, Sorry. Um, (laughs) It's a really good fight song. It's a really good, like anything you can do, I can do better situation. And when we, we see them come together, my parents uh, sent me away and they just stare at each other. And then they're like, where do we go from here? We are born of the same kin. Like, we are we are one. I just think that it's an important moment for the show while also being a really fun, comedic song. And then I think that the whole farting sequence at the end can be perceived as like, okay, that's ridiculous. But it's also like, it's a how, how else do we relate? Like, it, we're two very socially awkward people who don't know how to communicate with normal humans, and this is what we find to be entertaining. Like, I think it fits really well for the characters. Um, and it all, I think it, it's in the movie, too. So I think that, like, something, something of that nature is also in the movie. So I think that's a really important point in the show where we get to see these characters again, connect in a way that we don't get to see in the movie. And that's where like the musical comes in again and is like, let's see those deeper messages, kids. But yeah, I really, really like that number. Um, I am obsessed with who I'd be. I think the subtlety and the simplicity of it being a vulnerable act one finale, as opposed to what you would think would come from this show, um, which is this big spectacle, big ensemble dance number. It's almost like you you almost think that Freak Flag is supposed to be the Act 1 finale. Like, that's what you would think would come from this show. But, like, really turning it on its head and making it, like, this, like, vulnerable, like, deep delve into these characters. Again, you can view it one of two ways. You can view it as, oh, that's really emotional. That's really powerful. What a great moment for the, moment for the show. Or you can view it as well, it's Shrek. Like, do we really need to dive this deep into the characters? But I think in the musical version, it's important to see the vulnerability of the characters. And it's important because like, then you see, you see like through line and not necessarily like everything just comes together because it's happily ever after, but you see like a real through line and you, you understand the message of like the beauty is within, within, and you can really be anything you want to be as long as you choose your own path in life and you don't let people tell you that you can't be what you want to be. And I just think it's a great, like the whole like ending of, oh my gosh, when they all three of them sing together, we see Fiona's like longing to be loved by someone and she's been waiting for this whole time. We see Shrek break down of his like who I could who I could have been if society hadn't cast me out and then we see Donkey and he just sings like he sings all alone like 
so many times and it's, you don't really catch it, but then you're like, oh, Donkey just wants some, like he wants companionship because he, he like Shrek and Fiona has been cast out by society and he just wants companionship. And we see this, like what we see is like a typical, like comical character. Again, we see him like a little with a little bit of vulnerability and it's really, it's just a really nice act one finale. It's a really nice moment. Um, I've already talked about Morning Person, but I think that it's it's just a great number for... I think it's honestly... It was a number that was written for Sutton. And it, it's it's really telling that, like, I mean, you have the t- whole tap dance break. and um, But it also, like, it sets up the character really well. We see Fiona as this, like, awkward, socially awkward, kind of weird gal who's been socially isolated her life, whole life. So she talks to birds and deer and... Um, even that, like, she doesn't even know really how to talk to them because she's never, you know, she's never experienced that. Like, she's never been even out and she's not Snow White who goes out and talks to birds and, like, the birds love her. She is the person who explodes the birds with her high uh, vibrato notes. Um, And so we just get to see that fun, quirky sign of Fiona um, a little bit more. And I I love that number. I think it's really well-crafted in the show. So I feel like those are the, the numbers that I really love. I already talked about um, my favorite, favorite, favorite songs are Don't Let Me Go, I Think I Got You Beat, Freak Flag, and oh, I have not talked about this song, but Build Me a Wall. <sighs> it's kind of weird because it almost takes on like a new meaning in these day, this day and age, which um, I'm not going to talk about at the moment because I don't want to. Let me tell you, like eighth grade Kelsey, I was in a choreography class and this was one of the songs on the playlist that you could have chosen to um, create a choreography to. And eighth grade angsty Kelsey, some people live in, listen to Evanescence in their emo days, but I had this on replay. Like this was my jam when I was in peak emo eighth grade angst, angsty teenager. I know that makes me so such an annoying musical theater kid. I know it does, but... I love the song and I wanted to choreograph a song, a dance to this so much. I didn't end up getting to do it for the class, but I definitely, you know, in my room, I created just like this, like me just throwing myself across the room. Oh my gosh. I was so weird as a child, but, um, not too far off of uh, what I am today, but anyway, um, no, just like, I really think that this is a powerful song for Shrek and where, what he gets to. And we see him again, we see him break. Um, I feel like I talked about this in in the last podcast where we have to see a character kind of break before they can move forward and before they can become something new. I really just think it's a really, really great song for Shrek. But um, anyway, so that's also one of my favorite songs. My least favorite songs, I have to say, are the travel song. I think it's just a filler song and um, it's not meant to be anything. Um, I don't find it to be that funny. It's almost kind of like throwing jokes at you. And like, it's also a song that you kind of have to be in the theater to see and understand the jokes um, because they make a lot of musical references and stuff like that. Um, Donkey Pot Pie. This song I want to love. I want to love this song because at the beginning, it starts off as like this, like this great, like boss ass song. I said it again. I'm sorry. And it's just, it starts, you didn't knock when you entered, baby. Like, come on. Like, that should be a bot. And then she starts singing about donkey pot pie. And I'm just like, I don't get it. Like, I like why this song is not necessary for the show. It just, it just really isn't. Not my personal favorite, but like, again, everyone entitled to their own opinions. I hope that you love the song. 
I personally don't. And I do not like the Ballad of Farquaad. I just think it's so unnecessary. I do not like that point in the show. I just, I just really don't like it. And I also think that the storyline with Farquaad and his dad just really falls short. I just think it's unnecessary. So overall, my overall thoughts of Shrek the Musical. I think on a scale of like movies that are repurposed as musicals, I would say that it falls very midline. And here's why. I want to take Shrek and I want to compare it to Mean Girls, which I think is a show that took on a famous movie and did a really put together a really good musical out of it. I think that something that Shrek failed to do is it didn't really, aside from like the backstories, it didn't really create content outside of the movie. A lot of the jokes that land in the musical are the jokes directly taken from the show. I think we do see a lot more vulnerability from the characters and we do see like a backstory. But other than that, it just doesn't really do anything else from from the movie. Um, and I think that's the difference. Like, and then you look at like Mean Girls and you see that like, it's basically a different script. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of the same like through line, but there are new jokes. There are new things that entice the songs are jokes within themselves and they are just killer. And again, like the score in Shrek is amazing. I think there, of course, there are some songs that I don't like, as I just said, but it's just like, there's, there's, there's a difference. I think that, um, I, and I just think that it's like, it's a little too, it's a little too spoofy. Um, that doesn't mean that I don't think it's a good musical. You're honestly not going to get me on this podcast you're not going to catch me saying that I don't think that this musical is good. I am a nerd. I am a musical theater nerd. I find good in all musicals, whether they're the best musicals I've ever seen or whether they're musicals that I didn't necessarily like love, but I still think that all musicals have great qualities and they should be talked about. Whether they're good or bad musicals, they should all be talked about in a positive light because first of all, someone created it. Someone spent time and hard work and a lot of their lives to create this content. Um, someone had the idea in the first place. Now this coming from a, a movie, like of course, like someone else had the idea, but like it's still like there went, there was a lot of like work into creating the musical. And I just think that art should be appreciated. You can either enjoy it or you don't have to enjoy it, but it should still be appreciated in all lights because it's someone's work and it's someone's creativity and it's someone's vulnerability being thrown out in front of you. And whether you like it or not, you should appreciate it. And so you're never going to catch me on this podcast saying, oh, I, don't, I just hate that musical. There's nothing good about it. I think there can be good things found in every single musical. Is Shrek the best musical in the world? No, but it's not supposed to be. It's not what it was meant for. It was meant to appeal to broader audiences um, to really bring in, you know, the tourists. It was meant to be a spectacle musical. That's just the fact of the matter. And it was just meant to be fun. And it has such a, a good message coming out of it that I think it's a really good show for kids to see. And and for like, I, I just think that the message of the whole show overall is a really good one. And whether it's a spectacle musical or not, it still has that that factor of be true to yourself and don't let society form you into being something that you aren't or something that you hate because that's just not helpful to you and it just like deteriorates your what makes you special don't deteriorate don't let anyone deteriorate hate what makes you special but that's my overall thoughts of shrek 
Um, of course, now I'm going to talk tell you guys my favorite character, least favorite character, Tony award-winning moment. I'm going to rate it, and then I'm going to tell you my dream cast. So let's get right into it. My favorite character, I've already talked about it, is Donkey. I think Daniel Breaker's version of Donkey is unmatched. He hits every single comedic beat, and um, I just thoroughly enjoy his performance, and I would love someone to give me a female key of Don't Let Me Go. That's all I have to say. My least favorite character, get ready for it. I didn't even talk about this character. I didn't really talk about the fairy tale characters, but I do want to, I just, before I get into this, I want to give Jinji like a big old shout out. I feel like that actress who does this role, I don't even know, like, I, I don't even know where she is nowadays, but like she, she can sing and like she, she killed the role of Jinji. Um, and that voice acting, I love voice acting, but I just wanted to give her a shout out, but that leads me into my least favorite character, which is Pinocchio. And I just feel like it's, um, there's a lot of whining that happens. Um, I think, what what the actor does i don't i'm not hating on the actor i'm simply hating on the character the actor is phenomenal and oh my gosh that falsetto he, he can literally sing about two octaves higher than i can which is ridiculous he's a phenomenal but i don't like the character of pinocchio i just find him to be whiny um i don't really find a lot of redeeming qualities in him i know he goes through like this journey um through freak flag and all that but like i, just, I don't know i just like i don't like the character that's all i have to say um my Tony Award winning moment, literally anything that Christopher Sieber does in this show is a Tony Award winning moment. He's phenomenal. He's dancing on his knees. Like, I, I don't know what else to say. And he also just embodies the character really well. I have a couple of Tony Award winning moments. Um, when Daniel Breaker, when Donkey falls down in like disgust after I think I've got you beat, after he walks through the... Um, the puff and the dust of all the, the farts um when he like breaks down like oh my god he's so funny he's so so good that's another moment and then at the very end I just want to point this out if you're going back and you're going to watch the show um pay attention to the very end of the show where they're singing um I'm a believer um just take a look at the three blind mice because they are totally facing upstage the whole time. And that is just like, it's such a small detail, but I live for small details like that. It's just like, like they're blind. They don't know which way the audience is. It's so funny. I think it's great. Um, a great moment. Um, and that's my Tony Award winning moments, I guess. Um, I'm going to give this as a rating. I'm going to give it six out of 10 freak flags because there are a lot of plot discrepancies, I think, but I love the score. And I think that it's good for what it is. Um, I really do. And um, I think that you should go in to Shrek with an unbiased opinion. Go watch it on Netflix. It's literally so easy. Go in with an unbiased opinion and form your own opinions. And again, like I said, you can choose to love it or you can choose to hate it. But I still think that you should um, you should uh, see it and uh, form form formulate your own opinions on it. All right, let's get into the Dreamcast. I'm very excited about this Dreamcast. I think that it's really well done and I'm really excited to share it with you. So, Shrek, the one, the only Alex Brightman, right? Who else, who else is gonna do it? You know what I'm saying? I think he would be great. Although I did say, I think this might be a bit, you know, toned down for him. That's all I have to say. Um, Fiona, if Sutton Foster is not going to play this role, it better be Cara Lindsay. Same energy. Um, would be so good at this role. And um, I could listen to her sing Morning Person all day, I think. So um, definitely Carol Lindsay. Donkey, I said David Diggs, because duh, has very similar energy to Thomas Jefferson. And um, I think that he would be great. Farquaad, 
<laughs> okay, ready? Farquaad, I said Christopher Fitzgerald, and I said because he won't have to stand on his knees the whole time. <laughs> I'm so bad. I'm so bad. No, no. But I really think that Christopher, this is a role that's like meant for Christopher Fitzgerald. I think he'd do a really good job. Um, Gingy, I said Annalie Ashford. I don't know why. I just feel like she would be really good. And then Pinocchio, um, I want to see Ben Platt do it. I don't even know if he has that falsetto. He probably does. But, like, I would just love to see Ben Platt's version of Pinocchio. And that's all I have to say. Um, that's my dream cast, and that wraps up the musical of the week. So, um, I had a really good time talking about that, and I feel like I got to share, like, a new perspective on the musical that, first of all, I've never really thought about, but, like, maybe you haven't, you guys haven't either. So, hopefully I've inspired you in some way, (laughs) um, to maybe rethink or revisit the musical and, um, think about it in a new light and have a new appreciation towards it. All right, so the game portion of today is a game that I... Uh, have not created, but a game that I've played before. It's called the five second rule. And what I've done is because I'm by myself, um, I asked my very nice roommate, Genevieve, if you would like to hear um, the podcast with her in it, you can check out Spamalot, Les Mis, um, Once on this Island, and You're in Town. She's in those podcasts if you'd like to hear her beautiful voice. And um, I asked her very nicely to come up with five second rule questions for me. I have a hat and I have categories and I'm gonna draw them out. And it's basically, they're gonna, she's going, or these questions are asking me, I have to name three of something. So um, I guess like an example would be name three roles Sutton Foster has played. And within five seconds, I have to say um, Janet and Drowsy, uh, Reno in, See, I'm really, I'm really bad under pressure, and now I feel pressure, so I can't even remember things that she's played. <laughs> Reno in Anything Goes and Violet and Violet. So in under five seconds, I have to say those things. So I'm quite nervous. I literally don't know what these questions are, and I really don't. I, I feel like I could be exposing myself at this point. All right, I'm not cheating. I have a stopwatch. <sighs> Here we go. Okay. Oh, I'm nervous. Okay. Name three Stephen Schwartz musicals that aren't wicked. Okay, um, Children of Eden, The Baker's Wife, and uh, the Pippin. Wow. I literally only had The Baker's Wife on my mind because I was recently, we recently watched someone sing a version of Metal Lark. Um, so that was very convenient. That's probably why she asked that question. I did that in 4.52 seconds, um, by the way, to let you guys know how horrible I'm going to be at this. Um, I barely got that in. Okay. Name three cats from the musical Cats. Oh, oh God. Uh, Mr. Mistopheles, uh, Rum Tum Tugger, and Victoria? Mm, I didn't make it. She would ask me a question about cats when I literally... Oh, my gosh, cats. I can't believe it. Can you guys believe that that's a musical? Because sometimes I just can't. Um, I feel like that's that's a musical that uh, you definitely have to go, go to... Um, uh, maybe bring a, a glass of wine in when you, when you see it. It's a fun, it's like a fun, weird musical, and it's a beautifully choreographed. Like, it's an amazing dance musical, but you sometimes, like, you see that. I don't know why I'm going on a tangent about Catherine. Right I just really felt like I should give my, um, two cents on that. But, um, I did not make that timer. Okay, I did that in six seconds. This is hard. I'm really, really bad under pressure, guys. Oh my god, okay. Name three controversial Tony wins. Oh my god. Um, okay, Avenue Q over Wicked, uh, 1776 over Hair, and uh, uh, um, Phantom of the Opera over Into the Woods. 
Yeah, I definitely didn't make that under five seconds, but that was hard. How am I supposed to think of things like that in five seconds, Genevieve? Like, what are we doing here? Um, also, the last one might be controversial, but I personally am obsessed with Into the Woods and I really don't like Phantom of the Opera personally. But um, so that one might be controversial, but I feel like the other two were pretty, they're pretty good. Like we all, I mean, like, come on, like Wicked should have beaten Avenue Q in two, 2004, right? Like we all agree on that. And also, I feel like 1776 over hair is just like a universal one. It's one that I feel like I've talked about a lot. Um, so, yeah. All right, I'm going to do two more because um, I feel like this is uh, this podcast is on the longer side. So let's do, okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> Name three of the hottest men on Broadway. Okay, Jelani, Aladdin, Derek Klenna, and Aaron Tveit. Like, that was too easy. Three seconds. Like, come on. You can also throw Jeremy Jordan in on the mix. And, like, like you, there's, like, a lot, like, a lot of... of very attractive men on the Broadway. On the Broadway. Um, okay, I'm gonna do one more. Okay, let's make this a good one. Okay. Oh, this is fun. Name three musicals that you, or, sorry, name three underrated musicals that you think everyone should see. Okay, um, The Wild Party, um, The Wedding Singer, and uh, the Bonnie and Clyde. I literally, kid you not, if I could show you a visual, I literally got that in five seconds, like to a T. Yeah, The Wild Party, I really enjoy the Lippa version. Um, I It's one of my favorite musicals, to be completely honest. I don't, I mean, I don't know if it's underrated. I just feel like people don't, they don't talk about it all the time. Um, it's so different because it's like underrated to like a musical theater student versus underrated to like the general population. I feel like are two different things. Like in the musical theater realm, like The Wild Party is not underrated. It's very much appreciated. Um, and I, I think same with like The Wedding Singer and even Bonnie and Clyde. Like, but like when you ask the general population, like what they think of those musicals, they'll probably be like, what is that musical? So I think those are three musicals that uh, everyone should see. And also they were just off the top of my head. So um, so that's the game portion of the musical, and now we are getting into my favorite, favorite, favorite segment, which is the advice column, which very much has everything to do with the musical that we talked about today. But my advice for today, um, advice from Kelsey, is um, never, never apologize for who you are. You yourself are so unique, and there's no one out there like you, so like, take pride in that and own it. And for my theater performers, like, Take that into a room and apply that to the roles you're auditioning for because that's what's going to make you stand apart from the hundreds of other people who are coming in. And even it will make you stand apart in a final callback from like one or two other girls who they're looking at who are just as talented as you, who have the exact same look as you, who are everything that the, the producers are wanting and the casting directors are wanting. You have to find what makes you stand apart from them. Um, and the only way to do that is to take, is to know what makes you unique and what makes you different and what makes you fun and, and what you love about yourself. And you have to put that into the character and create your character through that. And again, I'm just going to bring it up again, but like, look at Sutton Foster. Like, no one, no one has ever played Reno Sweeney like she did before she did. And she won that Tony so well-deserved because of the character that she created on this very well-known revival of a very, very popular character. She created this entire new 
age of the character. And honestly, people are playing it like Sutton did because it's it was so well-crafted. But all she did was take her own personality and put it into the character. And she found her quirks and what makes her unique and she put it into the character. And so don't back down and don't be afraid of what makes you unique because that's honestly the thing that makes you special and it's the thing that makes you shine. And it doesn't matter what other people think. If that's special to you, then own it and be proud of it and celebrate it. And that's my advice for the week. Um, That's the podcast, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I have so much fun talking to you guys each week. Um, If you want to find me personally, you can find me on Instagram at underscore Kelsey McFall underscore. You can also find me on TikTok, see um, the new hall girl. Uh, that I, I I guess I'm going to become um, and lose all my money. But I'm um, at KelseyMC137 on TikTok. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode and we will see you next week. Bye guys. Mwah.